Welcome back to Season 2 of Enduring Christianity, The Trio, where I join with my two good friends, Adam and Peter, in the shared pursuit of God, His Word, and the practical realities to following Jesus. Today's conversation is on idolatry. All right, well, once again, we are back together to make the trio, which means Adam Zastro is here. Thank you for showing up and joining yeah, us Yeah, no today. problem. My other three podcasts canceled, so <laughs> I was able to make it. And you're really growing in popularity. Yeah. Thank you, Peter, also for joining. I had to cancel no podcasts. <laughs> no, no. All right, so today's topic, we've agreed we're going to talk about getting into idolatry and also identifying maybe what some modern idols are. And by modern idols, I mean they might be something that we're regularly doing or something that has become an idol in our life, but it's so fabricated into our society and our life as a quote-unquote norm that it's become unknowingly an idol. Okay, so that's part of the conversation as well, just becoming aware. We've talked about already, we need to become aware of our sin. And really, you know, as I've prepared for this, I obviously realized there are bad things, and it's easy for me to list these bad things that I can do. You can do good, you can do bad. But when I view it as a possible idol, for some reason, that visual takes on a whole new elevation, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, this isn't something to be like, oh, yeah, everybody does it. I think it's obvious for most everyone around us, we don't really stop and consider that there are really things that are beyond just good and bad. These things are really idols. The more we pause and consider, the devil is trying to infiltrate. And at times, I think if we pause to consider, it seems that he's throwing everything at us except for the kitchen sink. That's an idiot moment. Oh, yeah. Did you get that? Yeah. So you've done everything that you possibly can. Um, okay. So I'm thinking about kitchen. We got food in there. Yes. And the old timey, when somebody's on stage and you want to get off, what do you do? You throw the, the tomatoes and the food at them, right? <laughs> and the cabbage comes up there. Mm. I don't know why my head goes to like evictions, like you're being kicked out of your house. Okay. And I'm imagining like everything being thrown out the front door onto the lawn. Oh, except for the kitchen sink. Except for the kitchen that's sink. That's not a bad. That's, that stays there. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a very good guess. So, are we anywhere close? Yeah, you're definitely close. So, everything but the kitchen sink. The idiom was born around World War II, when as many household items as possible were contributed to the war efforts, including all metal to be used for the U.S. arsenal. However, the old ceramic and cast iron kitchen sinks generally stayed put, deemed to being too heavy. Yeah. So, So, literally then when they made bombs and missiles and bullets out of all this contributed household uh-huh. goods, metals, whatever. They literally threw, you know, everything at them. Except for but the, the kitchen, kitchen sink. sink. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of more times. So I just think about the the difference in that short time. Now you drive around and you see, you know, scrap metal everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, so speaking of war times, do you guys see idols, you know, in our life? Do we visualize that as a spiritual battle? That's actually real, live, and present. Thinking about our spiritual lives as a battle, as a war, it heightens our awareness to the fact that it's not just, you know, a little kitty cat roaming around, but it's a roaring lion looking to devour us. There's the reasons that the Bible uses those words. On top of that, I think for me, as I've been looking at different things on idolatry, understanding that many of our sins are rooted in these idolatry ideas has also raised my awareness to the importance of understanding what it means to have an idol. So I thought we should start by defining that. The easiest way I've heard it is any good thing, possibly, that we have elevated above God. So it could be a very good thing normally, but as soon as we put it above God, and this is idolatry, right? Which lines up with have no other gods before me. Before me. The before me part is really interesting. I'm not a biblical expert. None of us are. But, I mean, why would he say have no other gods before me? Why not just have no other gods full stop? You tell me if I'm right or wrong and then add on whatever. But I think the idea of a god, lowercase g, right, was that it's anything you're serving, right? Like your lord, your master. And so, are we going to have other things that that we answer to in our lives? Yes. 
we'll have a boss, we'll have family, we'll have friends, right? But that's kind of my way of thinking about it. Have nothing else that you answer to, have nothing else that's more important than I am. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times how a you know, lowercase idol God starts to evolve in our life is when there's a void of something. And we see that evident with Mount Sinai when Moses goes up and they're like, he's left. What do we do? Let's make ourselves a God, right? And so there's a void there. I do find that in my own life when there's some kind of void, meaning like there's a problem without an answer necessarily mm-hmm. or... But, you know, God clearly tells us to wait upon him. So waiting's part of the process. But, you know, if I'm waiting and I get impatient, then I can jump to another thing to satisfy me or yes. to pacify me. You know, that has nothing to do with waiting on God and continually serving him. It's become about me being served by some kind of satisfaction. Yes. Know? When we feel a void, I think that's when we should take the biggest pause. I really think that there's endless amount of gods. And we do need to define what God idol kind of can be. Money can be a God. My wardrobe can become an idol or a God. My cars can become an idol or a God. Uh, My diet plan, I can become so obsessed with that. Uh, My exercise. So these are now things that are good for us, but we can become so obsessed that we just becomes the one thing that determines all my decisions pretty much going forward. At what point do these things, these objects, these activities start to be our main factory of decision determination? Like, Mm -hmm. this is what determines my decisions, you Mm -hmm. know? And obviously, there's times where, like, right now, I'm on a diet. So, I'm thinking about it on purpose, and there's going to be choices I make based on I might not go hang out with these certain people today, you know, just hanging out, because I know I'm going to be tempted to have a few more beers and fit my diet, you know? And so I'm not going to go. So it's determining my decision. But my question would be then, am I able to apply the same discipline to being on a diet, the same self-control to exercise and and to deny my natural reasons that I want to do in order to do this diet? Am I able to apply that same discipline, effort, and self-denial in following God? And if I'm able to do that with a diet and food, but I'm unable to do that with God himself, that's a good self-reflection moment. Yeah. You're using diet. That's very nice. And I'm rooting for you. Um, (laughs) My my idol is sugar. And I think sometimes uh, I idolize caffeine. Certainly there's times in my life where I've idolized alcohol. If defining idol is anything that we desire or prioritize or choose above God, then then yeah, like food's a big deal. And we live in a rich society where we have tons of choices. I was telling you guys just before that we were kayaking and then the kids wanted to get ice cream after kayaking, right? Like that's a very real like like I can joke about that like anybody else will, like, oh I need to watch the pounds and I need to eat right. But there's a, a real like desire and urge and craving and food yeah Yeah. like there is a we can say money is an idol and we see people do incredible things for money but i think food isn't like an everyman idol (laughs) it's just it's very real so when you were talking about the behaviors and the self-reflection i go man like every day i think about what am i going to eat or what do i want to eat so am i every day to to take your question and apply it every day am i thinking about what word of god can i get today yeah Mm -hmm. how am i going to praise him Mm -hmm. today Mm -hmm. uh what am i going to thank him for you know my stomach doesn't growl when i haven't had enough word of god lately (laughs) (laughs) right it's the flesh Mm -hmm. we we talk here about dying you know to yourself and abandoning the flesh and pursuing spiritual like food is just a, a very direct connection for me to you know, the flash calling out. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. like, mm-hmm. um, because I went and got ice cream. Uh, you know, I said no to the kids, but somehow the conversation comes around to, I, I make the appropriate turns and we end up in front of ice cream somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, so. Oh, how did we get here? And I, and I even like to, how did we get here? <laughs> I like to do the like stoic, quiet father thing where I don't say anything and they're just watching me, you know, and then the blinker goes on and they're like, all right. Yeah. Yeah. We know yeah. which way you're going. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, you mentioned the flesh. 
right? We've got our three things that are, are battling against us, right? In our pursuit of Christ and being Christ-like, and it's the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh. The I, I feel like there's some overlaps at times between those. You know, they work in conjunction with each other, right? Well, the devil definitely makes the billboards and the commercials that I see. The billboards? Yeah. Yeah, what do you, you know, for that juicy burger that oh, they just came out with. You know? <laughs> That's definitely the devil. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Satan's totally in that thing. Well, like, it, you know, but it's the world, right? It's like right? dripping. And, it right, has right, a flame-broiled look to it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. There it is. There's seductive nice. voices saying we have the meats. But again. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> no, you have them. I'm coming your way. Um, and that's my point is that, yes, is the devil at work when he's tempting you? To do that, yes, but it's through the avenue of the world. Yeah, yeah. And I was listening to an interesting sermon on temptation and the world specifically. And he talked about how it could apply to the the lust of your eyes. So something that looks good like a burger, right? You know, sometimes we think sexually when we hear the word lust, but I mean like anything that you want that you shouldn't have. Yeah. And so could be that, but it could also be food or drink or money or whatever. Right. And so if it's looking pleasing to your eyes, right. So that's one. And then lust of, I want to say our sinful flesh. So again, the flesh is tying back into this. And then final one is our pride. Yeah. And so these three things are the three things the world will try to appeal to. And what was really interesting is then he went back and said, look at Adam and Eve in the garden. The fruit was pleasing to her eye for her to eat. Mm-hmm. That's the flesh. And then he said, God didn't want you to eat this because he knows you'll be like him. You'll be like God. You'll know the difference between good and evil. And now it's applying to the pride. Oh, I'm going to be the one who knows everything. And here's Adam and Eve falling into the sin that attacked all three of those points very clearly. And then he contrasted it with Jesus being tempted and the three temptations fit perfectly into those three categories. Mm-hmm. Okay. Look at this stone. You should turn it into bread. You've been fasting for 40 days, right? Satisfying that flesh and what's pleasing to your eye. Jump off this tower. I have the angels save you. Everybody's going to see it. It's going to be public. You're going to be a hero. Again, going to uh, that pride and selfishness of this is something I desire. I desire people's attention. Look at all of the these kingdoms, all of this can be yours, right? And so now we're going to that prideful part, right? Where I, I could be in charge of all of these things and have this power. And, and each time he turned them away with God's word. So I feel like by having those three things as the basis of why is it that we are bringing these things up as idols? Well, one of those things is being Satisfied. Satisfied. It's pleasing to your eye. It's pleasing to your flesh or it's uh, pleasing to your pride. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about somebody who's going after money, they're going to continue to go after that money and raise it above God. And the interesting thing about all other gods besides Jesus, Jesus is the only God that when you follow him, you're satisfied. All the other gods like money, if you are only satisfied by money. Well, money never satisfies. You see poor people who are trying to get more money and rich people who are trying to get more money. And if that's their God, they just never have enough money and always need more, more, more. And that's why you see, you know, billionaires fighting over halves of percents on, you know, it's like, what's going on right now? It's like, all I want is more money and it's not satisfying me. And then if you mess up with your money, that money's going to put you flat on your face, right? It's not going to forgive you. It's going to uh, punish you and penalize you, right? So Jesus is the only God that will satisfy and forgive you. Like money, you said the reason we want more is because they're not satisfying. They're not satisfying, and they- then because we want more and they're not satisfying, we become obsessed. It means we end up giving it our discipline, our decisions, our sacrifice, our time. We're a slave to it. Yeah, we serve it because. Mm-hmm. Which is so dumb because it's not satisfying, but that's the reason now we've become so engulfed by it, which it's so unworthy because it doesn't satisfy. Right, right. What do you say to anyone listening right now that says, well, money's not an idol for me? What's a way we can look at that honestly in our lives and figure out if money is an idol for us? Can I ask one question first? So why does a person get money? 
why does a person go work to get money? Or why does a person steal to get money? Why do they get money? Because they know they need it, right? Do I go after God and pursue him because I know I need him? I can have that need for money, but there's no reflection in that need for God. To me, that's a problem because I'm able to react to a need in money. I might, I might not think that I need a million dollars or a few hundred thousand or I don't need a lot, but I know I need it. So I don't know necessarily if it's really about a quantity of it that you're never satisfied. Just the fact that you know you need it and you do something about it. But if you know you need God, do you do something about that? You're using a kind of a tricky word when you talk about, I know I need money. What do you need money for? Uh, food, air conditioning, heat, mm-hmm. roof, going to the doctor. Sure. There is always a need, some level of need. It right? starts with a need. Yeah. Even that need, what kind of food, what kind of car, that kind of thing, right? So I think then you come back to, do you desire it more than you're demonstrating? Like you just said, a desire for God. Yeah, because I'm really realizing with your question here after some pondering, if God is not in your life, then go do whatever you want because you're not under him, right? But if yeah. God's in your life and you show an ability to go pursue something, any other thing than God, money, food, socializing, anything, and you don't display that same energy and ability towards God, mm-hmm. Minimally, in the equal way, minimally, then it's above God. Uh, so if you have a perfect attendance record at work, but you don't crack your Bible open at home, I mean, that's something that, to think me- about, isn't it? A, I mean, right. Yeah. Is that a measurement of, I, I don't even think twice. Every morning I get up and I go and I show up and I apply myself, but it's not a standard that I make it to church every week, or it's not a standard that I study the Bible or take in any word of God. But every day I get up and I go to work. I mean, that is something to reflect on. Mm-hmm. Why do you go to work? Now, it could be you love work. That I mean, we're going to talk more about idols. And your career could be your idol, right? And your accomplishment and what you're pursuing. But if the why is why getting money, then yeah, that's a real question to ask. If five days a week or more, you get up and you dedicate yourself to your work, I don't know. You got to measure it against where you're at with God, right? If you can see my visual, you guys can see it, but verbally, you have levels, left and right. It's kind of like a scale, you know? More on one side, it goes up. Money doesn't have to go up or food or whatever it is. Whatever the idol is, that doesn't actually have to go up. God just has to go down, which makes the other thing go up, and it becomes automatically an idol. Sure. So it's not necessarily always that Hmm. we're elevating the other thing that's not God It's probably most often the reality that God is not a part of our life, Mm. lifting up the other things, whatever they may be. I I love that visual. That's really helpful. (laughs) It's the basis of prioritizing. (laughs) If you put God first and are in the Bible every day and praying every day, there's no room for the other stuff, right? Mm -hmm. It just, just makes so much sense. You know, Mm -hmm. as soon as you start letting that slip, something else will fill the void and you're on um, thin ice. Here's another, like, kind of measuring the temperature of where you're at and money and idle. Are you aware of who has money around you? (laughs) Yeah. Like, is that something you think about and you're aware of? I think when you start comparing, so pay attention to who you compare yourself to. Mm. And what reasons. And what reasons. Yep. If you want to know what your idol is, pay attention to who you compare yourself to, as your mm. point is. Pay attention to uh, your bank account and where your money's going. I think that's very telling. Would like you, what you're spending your money on. What you're spending your money on. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's well-balanced. Maybe you're giving to the church, to charitable organizations. Maybe you're doing that. But I know that <laughs> I don't think any one of us would, would like to share our bank account information with anybody that asks for one, right? Like, here you go, pastor. This is my bank account. And for like, this is the trail of my activity, really. right? This is the, this is yeah. what it is that I'm spending my money on is, um, it's truth telling. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's one, 
one way. And then also, where do your thoughts go when you daydream? <laughs> I thought that was a really interesting one when I heard that. I was I'm mm. part of this sermon. I was going back to, to a void. What, what happens during yeah. your void? Yeah. Even going back to food. When I'm like, oh, what do I do? Oh, I want to eat something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's going to yeah. fill the void. You think about the Bible verse talking about how we're a tree planted by water. The psalm writer talks about how God's word is this water that's mm. that's helping him grow. You can only imagine what would happen to that tree if the water supply was completely cut off. Mm. That's going to be a, a death sentence to that tree if you're cutting off that water supply. Same is true with us. How are you spending your time? I think that was the fourth one. Two how you spend four. your time is how you spend your life? Yes, that's exactly nice. right. So uh, look at your calendar. Are you willing to share your calendar with your pastor? Are you willing to share your bank account with your pastor? Are you willing to tell them who you compare yourself to? Are you willing to share what you what you think about all the time uh, when you daydream? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> like, you just take one of those, and I'm just, like, so convicted. Like, <laughs> just one of those is, like, okay, yeah, all right. I Now I'm starting to understand what my idols are. I think we're blinded by our culture too. Mm -hmm. You know, that's part of the world's doing. As a culture, we have relabeled so many different things mm. to normalize sin. Abortion turned into a woman's right to choose. Uh, greed turned into capitalism and uh, opportunity and uh, growth, economic stimulus. And if you look throughout history, different cultures have normalized different sins in different ways. And probably the most, the grossest example or one of the most recent grossest is, you know, Nazi Germany, right? Normalizing, murdering a genocide of a people. <laughs> that, that was a normal thing going on. And this is, this is okay now. That's abortion right now. Right. They're idolatry in Nazi Germany of we get to decide we're, we're in charge. We're the ones who decide who lives and who dies. We're, we're playing God. Mm-hmm. One of the idols I wanted to talk about was self-identity, you know, reputation or mm -hmm. power. I touched on it when I said, well, going to work every week, every day is a no-brainer, but the Word of God maybe isn't. Sometimes that pursuit then is earthly accomplishments and status and reputation in the industry you're in and you're, what you're focused on. And here would be a question to consider is... My career, an idol, meaning that if my job is the forklift driver at the warehouse, dump truck driver. Yes. if my job <laughs> is the dump truck driver, if my job is the manager, yeah. right, I have no problem going in there and telling people that my identity here is that job. Mm -hmm. But if I have a problem telling them that my identity is a child of God, yeah, that's an interesting thing to chew on. Yeah, definitely. And that's what I mean, like, if we're able to exercise these abilities towards things that aren't God, but we're not able to exercise them towards Him, then that's a real problem. It's not like, ah, gotcha, oh, gotcha. It's more like, oh, Lord, I need you to reveal more in my life because I'm not just doing bad things. I'm making idols out of these things. Here's a, another temperature question on self-identity. How much time do you spend thinking or worrying about what other people think of you or about you? Now, if your concern is because of, did I let my light shine? Did I represent myself as a son or daughter of the Most High? Those are quality concerns. But if it's really about, what did Billy think of me when I said this that alluded to, I don't have any money? Or did you see the way Peter looked at my crappy Crocs when I walked in today? That's just because I don't like Crocs. I mean, that's, <laughs> but that's interesting to reflect on because I think we all do that. We have to catch Absolutely. everything. Yeah. Well, and the, I think what we're getting at here is that self-examination piece and how important that is, right? We're looking at that first commandment of you shall have no other gods before me. Along with that, the 10th the commandment is really a bookend saying do not covet as, in other words, don't start comparing yourself to other people. So that you start wanting other things and then elevating those things so that you are now going to make those your God. And in fact, all of the commandments are different ways of avoiding idolatry. He said, here are the things that you need to do so that you can stay close to me. These are the 10 
And then I guess the, the translation is words, right? We say commandments, but here are the 10 words here. Here's the, the truth of, if you want to stay by me, you're going to follow these because otherwise you're going to start elevating something else mm. and mm. you're going to fall away from me. Hmm. No, I like that viewpoint. That's new for me. Yeah. Seeing it as in like, hey, this is how you stay close to me because otherwise if you look at the list, you're prioritizing things above me. Mm. And I'm God, so I'm at the top. And he has to be. He has to be. On top of that, it's worth stating again, we've got a God who made himself a man and came down and when he was at death's doorstep, he was praying and sweating like drops of blood saying, not my will, but your will be done. I'm okay dying penniless. I'm okay being mocked. I'm okay being humiliated. All for you, as long as your will is done. You know, there's a cross behind you on the wall. We're in the basement at our church. There's a wooden cross there I'm seeing. But you just quoted Jesus saying, that's, you know, the night before, the night he gets arrested. Mm -hmm. That is all ties into the cross time period for me. Mm Mm-hmm. If I look at that cross and start realizing, not my will, but your will be done, just Mm -hmm. as Jesus did. Mm -hmm. I never purposely looked at the cross as that sentence, Mm. because then it's an applicable thing to my life. In order to get on that cross, he said, not my will, but your will be done. And so anyway, I just, I see that cross as you're saying it. Yes. That might forever now, (laughs) with you saying those words and that cross be behind you, forever be that reminder when I see a cross, not my will, but your will be done. I like the connection to the cross. I mean, Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. And so all of ours will look different. We're going to have different sacrifices that we have to make. But I think it starts with that examination. And it's hard. <laughs> I mean, we're just in this world that is, I mean, bombarding us just at every turn. Now I'm getting commercials at the gas tank. Have you seen these? Oh, yeah. I Oh, I hate it. It's like, I, I thought this would be the one place at least where I could be like, it could be quiet for like a minute. You know? <laughs> I could gather some thoughts and just watch the numbers tick up to $80. I'm literally being encouraged to spend more money while I'm actually spending it. How did this You're happen? already getting the money, guys. You got to give it to them. They're very genius at what uh, they do. You've shown us you can spend money. We'll yeah. show you more ways. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so just the volume of idols in our life um, when we reflect what we actually place above God is depressing. One of the things that that I had jotted down when we were talking about idols and Billy had mentioned something about, you know, the clothes you wear can be an idol. I said, uh, let's see, is looking in the mirror before you go out to a social engagement a pretty serious thing for you? That had me reflecting on if I'm looking in the mirror and Mm -hmm. I'm concerned, right? Yeah. Or if you've ever done the thing where you've put on multiple items of clothing. I went, no, no. And you take it off and you put something else Mm. on. Why? Why is that so important? (laughs) Sure. That's another reflection of prioritizing myself and things I'm worried about in vain, like how I look or how I'd be perceived, right? Yeah. Uh, Again, it's in relationship to God. Yes. Right. So I still think it's important to dress nice for a nice occasion or dress appropriately for whatever occasion you're going to. And if, you know, you put on a t-shirt and you didn't realize the mustard stain didn't come out, probably be appropriate to (laughs) change that out. Or if you're not feeling the combo, okay, fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's if you're putting that above God and you're putting more time into your wardrobe than into God. Sure. But that also counts the amount of time you spend worrying about how you look. Sure. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Or thinking about. Yeah. 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 It takes a lot of time. Just looking, start, even our good. thoughts. Well, yeah. Or just yeah. even considering it. Sure. Sure. I mean, that's part of life. Mm-hmm. But how much does it become our obsession? Yes. And then applying the same principle, if I'm able to be concerned about what my clothes say about me, am I concerned about how I act and what that says about Jesus? Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. I'm really giving this much effort, which there's nothing wrong with it, to be concerned about what I'm wearing. Honey, does this look good? Yeah, you no, know, you look good. You look smart. It looks like you're playing the role that you need to play mm-hmm. with what you're wearing. All right, cool. If I'm able to do that with clothes, and I'm concerned about that with clothes, and I'm actually willing to ask someone's opinion who knows me, do I go out then and show the same concern about 
Yeah. What yeah. I look like in my actions? Am I asking someone, hey, how am I doing? Yeah. Yeah. But I can do it with clothes. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, it's it, a little safer. Safer? Yeah. Oh, it's a little safer to say, like, did I pick out the right t shirt here? Did oh. I pick out the right shirt? As opposed to, are all of my actions in line with God? You know, like, <laughs> that's a, it's a bigger ask. It's a bigger, um, you know, you're going into more of a, a deeper space. Literally, you're going into your, your own personality as opposed to the clothing that you're wearing, something surface level. Surfacey. But aren't, aren't all these things anything but it's not God surfacey? Really? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's yeah. easy, it's easier to go surface. Yes. Than it is to go into our depth of mm-hmm. where is my headspace at? Am I appropriately serving God? Because now if I ask you, hey, how am I doing serving God right now? How am I doing treating people? I have put you in a position to lay into me to say like, <laughs> you know what? You're not doing this right. You're not doing that right. I am now submitting to you in respect to God, right? Mm-hmm. I am saying like, I'm be my judge as opposed to, you know, judge my clothing. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I think that's a big temptation. That's why people like, that's live what, in the clothing. That's realm. what we're going to talk about cars yeah. or beer or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to talk about God. Things that really matter. Yes. We're scared that, that it might come back to us and, and we realize, oh, I've got to change now. Oh, I've got to I got to change. I, or I got to do the things I don't want to do. Yeah, I got to submit. I've got to, yep. You know, when you were talking about that, I was thinking about Solomon and talking about the Ecclesiastes moment and, you know, you toil and spend all this time and make all this money mm-hmm. and then you end up giving it to somebody else who ends up spending it. And it's like, what? who is it that we're working for? Mm-hmm. You know, like, why are we doing all of this stuff? And are you working t- to prove to your dad that you can do this thing or to your mom or to your brother? Or are you looking to, you know, have something nicer than your neighbor or are you, like, and you're doing all of these things. And the other thing is oftentimes the other person doesn't even know that you're doing it for them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're just, you're working yourself sick. So you can get this thing and then get like, and they're like, like, (laughs) when's the last time someone said to you, they needed to make more money so that they could give more to church. Right. Yeah. That's um, right. I I don't want to accept anything less than what I'm already making because I want to put more in the plate or I want to give more to ministry. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Because that's not what's in our heads. Mm -hmm. No, it's Mm -hmm. us first. Right. Yeah. I want to make sure if we can, Billy, you brought it up, uh, one of them, and the other one's huge. I, we haven't brought it up, but we should talk about it. Idols today, I think kids is a really mm. important reflection mm. on uh, whether we make our kids our idols. And right now there's probably somebody listening going, what? That, you know, that probably in and of itself sounds horrible. What do you mean my kids are my idols? No, they're not. I love them to death. Like, you know, I'd do anything <laughs> for them. They're so important. How could you call them my idol? You know, or you, you might justify it and say, "Well, yeah, I mean, of, of course, our kids should be super important. Why do you have to use a dirty word like idol, right? But because mm-hmm. my kids are given to me by God, so I have to care about them, right? And then the other one is technology. That's like one of my biggest fears for my kids right now. When mm-hmm. I see the addiction in their lives mm-hmm. and what kind of Horrible things can be there. So can we talk kids and technology? Yeah. When I think of my kids, I automatically think about the technology they're already on. So (laughs) I think they go well hand in hand. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So kids, first thing came to my mind, if it's a person who's married and the kids have become more important than the spouse, I think that's a sign of an issue. If you're married and you're a Christian couple, you should be fighting for your marriage and parenting together. But when one spouse disagrees what to do with the kids. That's a real thing. I get that. But this is also a clear moment to say, I'm elevating the kids over our relationship. So mm-hmm. that's the first thing that comes to my mind. I was hearing this pastor talk about how just about every time he has dealt with a, a couple going through a divorce or about to get a divorce, the thing that preceded it was that one of the people in the couple, if not both, were elevating something above their relationship. Mm. 
So whether it's the kids or the job or a hobby or somebody else or whatever it is, that thing was elevated above their relationship. And we're the church and Jesus is the bridegroom and he's married to the church. So that relationship of husband and wife are, is supposed to be this same relationship as, as the church to Jesus. And when we elevate something above Jesus, that's when that marriage falls apart. Perfect reflection. And how easy is it to elevate kids above your spouse? I mean, let's be honest, it's super easy to do. Yeah. Right? Um, you <laughs> They're have, loud. They, they well, want. Yeah, they're, they're loud, demanding. <laughs> they're cute. And, um, yes. You know, they're <laughs> yes. playful. They're like, you know, yeah. there's all these things. They, you want to give them opportunities. It's just like all of these different things that could really go out of hand really quickly. They tell me they love me when I give them what they want. Oh, boy. <laughs> Even though I said no. Oh, yeah. And then now I've made them, you know, I'm supposed to be in charge. Mm -hmm. And I just said no. Let's take for moments where I've realized I've done this. I've literally thought it out before I said no. Not just a knee reaction and then be like, well, you know, you're right. You know, it's really okay. I've done that too. But the times where I've said no, and then they start whining and complaining or please or no, or why not? Or my brother got to do it. And then I'm like, fine, you go do it. Mm -hmm. Like, I just let them be in charge. Mm -hmm. And isn't that kind of like what an idol is? Yeah. You know, where I'm supposed to be the authority. I've just let their pleasure rule over what's best for them. When you start looking forward to seeing your kids at the end of a long day more than your spouse, that's something that we should all reflect on. Yeah. When you're coming home and you're opening the door or when your spouse is coming home to you, if you're, again, if it's, I can't wait to see my kids and your spouse is not in that thought, then there's got to be some reflection. As recently as yesterday, I was conversing through text with someone who hasn't been to church recently. It's a young man, newly married. One of the things he said to me was, yeah, I know I should be at church. I should be following what God tells me to be as a husband. And by the way, my one-year anniversary is coming up in a week. Okay, Part of my response to him was, I mentioned kids. And really what it was is, I just want to encourage you, if and when kids enter your family life, you're going to start working with what you got, meaning what you've already accomplished as a husband, but you're probably not going to progress much as a husband <laughs> because kids are little succubuses, right? Like, I mean, they, they, they take all your energy, their time, your effort. You are no longer going to be investing for a while into becoming a better husband is what I told this gentleman, right? So I said, do it now. Wow. Do it now because if, even if you just want to be a good father, do it now because mm. you can't be a good father without being a good husband. You can't be a good mother without being a good wife. <laughs> I think you meant succulents. Did you mean succulents? I don't know. I don't know what I meant. <laughs> I looked up succubus. I don't know what I meant. <laughs> succubus is a female demon believed to have sexual intercourse with a sleeping man. What? That is not. I was like, what is a succubus? <laughs> I think you meant uh, succulent. Succulent? I, I think like, of like a flower. You yeah, like a flower like a... that sucks up a lot of water? Is that what you meant? I assume you didn't mean a female demon <laughs> believed to have sexual intercourse with a sleeping man. <laughs> sleeping Goodness. man. Never heard of that before. I was like, what is a succubus? It probably would have been totally missed. Yeah. <laughs> you, but you made it so obvious. It's terrible. <laughs> Uh, excuse me, this is the moment to address where you're not right. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> I'm grateful. <laughs> well, I yeah, I just so didn't want it to slip. Like, what, did, what, what was the word he said so I don't ever use it? <laughs> he said succubus. Succubus. He's a teacher. We got to cut him a break. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, I need the break. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> I need a break. <laughs> My wife Goodness. and I, I remember coming home. When the kids are little and like, I was like, man, I'm exhausted like all day, all week, all year, whatever. She's like, yeah, it's like they take our energy from us. They steal it from us and then beat us with it. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's true. That's really yeah. how it feels. Like beat us with they it. They beat us with it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so, you know, when kids make you really tired, they just, you just give them whatever they want. There's yeah, practical there's, reasons. They're so needy, right? They're so they're, very... they're so incomplete, dependent upon us, and 
God does bless it immediately. Like mm. it's amazing that child is born and you love it incredibly, right? Mm. You don't even know it. You don't do that to anyone else in your life, right? It's not like, hi, I'm Adam. Oh, I love you, Adam, right? Um, I'll do anything. But you do that to this little stranger God gives you who like really is a selfish, terrible human. Um, yeah. And <laughs> I mean, they are. I, I was too. And, but uh, suddenly they consume you. And, you know, to your point earlier, typically what I noticed in my circles growing up is a lot of divorces happening when kids were hitting like their teens. One thing that was commonly mentioned was, well, yeah, we, we wanted to do this a long time ago, but we stayed together for the kids. Mm. But that's how they take off and become our idols. Um, when we are willing to even prioritize them over our spouse, mm -hmm. which means we're certainly prioritizing them over God. Mm -hmm. You know, it really gets sad if you stop and think about it. If we're prioritizing our kids over our wife and then we prioritize, and I'm not talking when I'm, when I'm about to say like a TV show or kids over your husband. I, I'm, yeah. Let's throw that in there. I'm not going to say like, Hey, I need 30 minutes to recharge to be a better dad. There's moments like that, right? Here's your iPad. But when I'm committed to this series and I have to indulge in it and I've been watching it for two hours, I'm way past recharge time and I'm still telling the kids, Oh yeah, you just go do whatever you want. Cause I'm, I'm watching my thing now. So now I'm elevating a show, and this has happened in my life, right? I have now elevated the show over my kids, mm -hmm. who I have also elevated over my wife. Everything's, yeah. everything's so it's backwards. Like, it's yeah. like if you follow that trail, now the show is more <laughs> – Right, yeah. But if you follow that, it really goes back to Adam and Eve again, the basic principle of all sin, me determining what's right and wrong for my mm -hmm. life, mm -hmm. what's convenient, what's not. Which, again, going back to Jesus, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself. Pick up your cross, as you mm -hmm. reference, Peter. So, I mean, we're just like the Old Testament. You know, we when are. you see the descriptions of all the different gods, right? What you're describing is like, hey, I need this God to step aside for a moment so mm -hmm. I can work on this God right right here. I want to give that one attention. But, but you move, too, because here comes this other God. It reminds me of all those verses where they talk about just idol, idol, idol. And I think all of these idols, right, to your point, we are trying to make these idols work for us. Yeah. Uh, we want them to fit mm. perfectly into the way that we want things to go. So we want those idols to conform to our lives. And what makes Jesus different is that when you follow Jesus, you are asking for him to change you to become more like him. Yeah. Mm. So that I can follow him. I'm conforming to his way, his will. And that's what's different about him. And it's why it makes so much sense that it's the one true religion. Which you think, you know, knowing Jesus died on the cross and he's, he loves us, there's the proof of it. And that's why I think believing, we can't just say, oh, I, yeah, I believe Jesus died on the cross because I want to get saved. There's got to be like a response. You're saying you believe that God became man, which is bad enough, by the way, <laughs> and then died on a cross and while, everything that while he, we were still sinners he yeah died on the cross. He, he did all that for us so if i believe in that how can that not demand a response to do something mm -hmm. to be someone and if he's the one to be served it, is anything else around here is my workplace giving up their life for me no <laughs> they're gonna throw me in the can once they don't need me anymore or yeah. i'm too much of a, a cost yeah. problem they're gonna downsize they get rid of me but I can serve the job, but I see Jesus on the cross and I say, I can't serve him like I can serve my job. Yes. <laughs> the one who loves me and is willing to forgive me. It's so backwards. If like my point is like if there's anything worthy of being an idol, like in the positive way, yep. it's Jesus who is God and who did all that for me. It's just so crazy to pause and consider that I can give my effort to things like work and such and not give it to him. Uh, I had a idol possibly, unless you guys want to shoot one out. I have one, uh, substance abuses. I, you know, we did an episode, it was the last one of season one. And I found out during that episode that the initial average introduction to some type of substance, drugs, 
Do you know what it is? Fourth, fourth grade. grade. Yeah, I was blown away. Fourth grade. I know. I mean, that's just so sad at how early the devil's coming into our life with substances. So when I when I look at that, you know, I see the devil obviously knows that substances has a control over people and he can use that as a as a tool. I know in my own life, you know, it's easy for me to want to go to a drink. I don't initially go at it as though, oh, I want to make this all disappear. Give me as much as I can have. But I do find myself there. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like eventually I am still talking about the stuff. And instead of forgetting about it, what does the booze do? It has me jabbering about it mm-hmm. and complaining about it. <laughs> Maybe even with complete strangers, sure, you know? Sure. It's just kind of ironic. Instead of dealing with the problem, I found that alcohol depressed it. It manifested itself in a more deeper depressional way. So instead of dealing with it, it just enhanced it in a worse way internally. Mm-hmm. There was one moment where I really realized, like, my face is against the wall, realizing, like, I need to make a change and stop and deal with my stuff because I was losing it on my wife, mm. you know? And I was all, quote, unquote, justified about what I was yelling at her for. But, you know, we're on a getaway and there's other couples there who are through the woods, but they hear all this. And the next morning we wake up and she's like, I don't know if we're ever going to get invited back here. I'm like, Why? You know, mm. and she's like, do you remember what you did last night? I'm like, yeah, it was fine. Like, no, you don't remember, you know, mm. and there's moments like that. They're like, I got to change. Absolutely. The point is, is that I went to it as my source of help. Alcohol. Alcohol. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it didn't help me. No. <laughs> it never does, right? No. <laughs> but, you know, it's only God then who brings it to your face, thankfully. Ask for forgiveness. It says, I need to change, you know, and I put a plan in my life to not have a drink for 30 days. Mm. You know what I found out when I did that? It's a lot harder than I thought it was. It was a real self-discipline battle, though, but. Did you make it? I'm still alive, yeah. Yeah? <laughs> 30 <laughs> did days. Did you make it 30 days? Yes. Yeah, I did. Nice. Congratulations. Thanks. But I recognize, though, that I need to be always cautious but you know god's so kind though going back to god's kindness that he allows it to go so far to where you'll never forget hopefully (laughs) Hopefully you don't forget and you're like man i need to respect this my decisions matter you know where i go to for my help really matters because the only one who loves me is christ alcohol doesn't love me Mm-hmm. Money doesn't love me. My job doesn't love me. They'll they'll kick me to the curb at any moment. In fact, at the very end of it all, honestly, more commonly than helping us, I think in many people's lives, it makes them look at ending their life, not helping their life. Yes. Yeah, I think it's good to give things up at times. I think it's a great discipline, like you talked about. It helps you prioritize, helps you realize where your desires are at. I'm really terrible at giving things up. I don't know if I ever have. Um, now that I'm thinking about <laughs> so it, so you don't know I really guess. technically if you're bad at it or not. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure I would be great at it. No, Adam brought this up. <laughs> yeah. Adam brought that up with Lint in a previous episode. Yeah, how much the practicing of that is so important, and also basically with food. Jesus fasted food. I mean, this is you know, there's an element there as well, giving up things on purpose. Yeah, you realize how dependent you are on those things. Oh yeah, I can quit that. Okay, yeah. do it. Yeah. Give it a try. What do you mean? For how long? Uh, three days. Nah, I, I, I can do it, but nah, yeah, I don't want yeah, to. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, let's go three days without our cell phones. There you go. You Sorry. know how hard that is at first, but then after the three days, it feels so good. Like oh, camping yeah. oh, or yeah. if you're at the beach where you really can't take it, like, why yeah. do I feel so much better? Yeah. Oh, I haven't had my phone for yeah. three days. Yeah, that's major. That's another idol. The addiction to technology of some kind and the connection. My family went through something, uh, it was a perfect storm. We have Verizon for our cell phones, and somebody somewhere cut some major cable, right? I always think that we're past this, but yeah, <laughs> but we're not, okay? okay. So somebody outside Tripped of Madison. Cord or something? Nah, yeah, right. Unplugged it. It's one prong in a wall. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Somebody took it out of it. <laughs> uh, somebody plugged their toaster in instead of whatever yeah. was running all of Verizon <laughs> yeah. for Wisconsin. But anyway, a particular day, somebody cut through some major cable outside of Madison, Wisconsin, and for like, I don't know what it was. It was maybe 14 hours. 
there was nothing, like no cell reception. We couldn't do like anything. Really? Um, yeah. Yep. I actually- When was this? I, I came to a meeting in town here for church and somebody else was freaking out. And I actually like was excited because I had two bars coming this direction. This was like a year ago, maybe. At the same time, we lost our internet. We live in the country and we uh. lost our internet. So we were without internet and without cells and- Living in the dark ages. We don't we don't have a landline. We decided not to. It was there. Until it's still we Morse in, code. But, yeah. <laughs> what was interesting though is your telegraph systems are still working nicely. <laughs> I, I think the pigeon died. Yeah. So. <laughs> what's What's funny is what the anxiety of that separation of yeah. not having cell reception. Yeah. So yeah. first it started in discovery that we didn't have cell reception. I knew we didn't have internet. We went like two and a half weeks without internet. It was really interesting. With yeah. the kids. Mm. It was yeah, like, weird. The things that they actually picked up and started doing and spending time on. Uh-huh. You know, it was like the first three days were absolutely painful for everyone involved. Yeah. Um, but after that broke away, it was really interesting. Like, uh, reflecting on it now makes me think about maybe it needs to go again. And we got to experience something like that. Well, then, so I left work the day that it went down. And I didn't know. I just thought, my phone. You yeah, you always think your phone only, right? Like, wow, this piece <laughs> of junk, you know. And I remember at first trying to call my wife as I typically do when I leave work, and getting nothing and nothing and nothing and nothing, and then getting angry like at her, which is always perfect sense, right? Mm. Like, what's she doing? Why can't she answer the phone? Whatever, definitely right? her fault. Um, yeah, absolutely. And then finding out that there's nothing at home either. <laughs> Sadly, to admit is the anxiety of mm-hmm. not being connected. So. You had to make peace with it, but it was weird. I picked up my phone many times. Oh, That's, knowing that it didn't work. I mean, it's work. basically a paperweight at that yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> but I picked it up many times, and that was one of the things that I remember, like just the awareness of how often I would pick it up. Yeah. It's like um, when um, when the power goes out and you flip, flip the, the lights, switches. Flip yes. the switch every time. Yes. Every time yeah. you walk in the room. Ah! <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's going to be dark. Well, um, just go go make a piece of toast. No! <laughs> <laughs> what did people do on work at lunch 20 years ago? However, I, you I know what? <laughs> I saw I saw this thing. Um, everybody's on their phones nowadays. Why don't we... You know, go back to 50 years ago where people talk to each other and then it showed a picture from 50 years ago and it's just a bunch of guys reading the newspaper, <laughs> sitting next to each other, mm-hmm. nobody talking. Mm-hmm. You know what, though? They were probably the reading the same thing and then talking about it, though. Sure. Sure. Just, <laughs> that's that's always going on. All right. So I have a, a spiritual example then. Of idolatry? Yes. And it may take some time after some more digging, but going to church. Your church. Is it possible that that can elevate itself above God? Can that be an idol? So what I if think it's, about- If it's only going to church. That's it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah I, yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah, ministry itself could become an idol if it's about the means and the activity instead of the mm-hmm. purpose. I mean, is, is that what you're driving at? Yeah, I was just trying to give it a little bit of a challenging viewpoint. <laughs> We're so sinful- Mm-hmm. There's no place we're safe that we do not need to put some self-reflection on our life. Right? Yes. Right. So nowhere, you know, and so there's no, it's not going to church and I go, oh, I'm good now or, oh, I'm so bad because I didn't go to church. Yeah. Like going to church is not my relationship with God. It's environment that's supposed to help me grow in my relationship, but it's not my relationship with God. So, like, I thought of the verse, these people honor me or acknowledge me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, God says. Mm -hmm. So, I think about that as an environment of a certain visualization of church becoming so elevated that I make sure I'm there every Sunday, you know, I'm there at the board meetings, I'm there at the voting meetings, I give my money, I'm so consumed with it, but my heart is far from him. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a reality. Yeah. And what's the most common word that gets negatively associated with Christians? I mean, to me, it's hypocrite. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a common, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. The first off episode with my dad, I learned that the word hypocrite came back from the days of theater. So they would be on stage and they would be dressed up as what they were not. And that was just simply called a hypocrite. 
You're, mm. you're literally acting, pretending to be something you're not, mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily in a negative connotation. It's just an effectual, he's being a hypocrite. So you would think he's of saying one thing, doing another. Well, yeah, but these people were actually looking or, you yep. know, I'm, I'm acting like I'm this, but I'm really not this in real life, mm -hmm. you know, on, on a theater stage. So this day and age too, we would think of it like Halloween, you know, we dress up in a costume, really all our kids in that term is being a hypocrite. Sure. It's not, nothing to do with what they're saying. It's they're right. pretending to be something that they're not. And we actually laugh at it. Hmm. So hypocrite comes from, you know, theater and play and costumes and imagine Halloween. So I'm going to read here off my phone a little note I wrote about this. So uh, we can literally dress up for church, but who are we during the days we actually are living? What is our behavior or who are we acting like the rest of the 99.9 .9 moments of the week? People somehow stop all sense of spiritual meaning and growth with if they go to church or not. If church is not affecting how you live, then maybe it's a false idol. You catch as many fish as you can, Jesus told the disciples, then I and the angels will separate them. So a hypocrite then, you know, we, we can come to church, we can literally dress up for church, we can make ourselves look good, you know, literally, right? This day and age, we don't really care as much as we did when I grew up. The point being is that however we dress, we're, we're dressed up to go, we're playing the part, and then we're worshiping, we're singing. But is this how we live our life the rest of the 99.9 .9 moments of the week? Because this is a very small sliver of the week. Right. And if I'm going to church and acting like the Christian and the church, but when I leave that and the rest of the pie, so to speak, mathematical pie, is nothing like that person in church, then I'm a hypocrite. Yes. You know, going back to the theater version, right? I'm looking like something, I'm acting like something, but who am I actually? So in that sense, I kind of ask the question, you know, can church be an idol? Is it a social event? You know, like you said, is it an identity thing? It's probably not the church itself is the idol. It's more what you're trying to get out of it for yourself or something. It's not biblical, but it reminds me of a quote has been rattling around since I heard it. And it went something like, when you die, you will be remembered by those you left behind for who you were, not who you said you were. Mm. Right? So it's the same truth with God. Mm. Is what you're saying, right? Not who we say or pretend to be, but who we actually are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We all are going to remember you for who you are, not who you tell us you are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, know? Well, you know, and that goes back to the word Christian, too. I think it's always important to remember that it's a description, not a title that someone gives himself. Yeah. I mean, when it was given, it was given by non-Christians about people who were look so different and they couldn't understand why they were living a certain way. Yeah. I mean, these people are literally giving away their houses because they told the people that, well, we don't really need a house because we know our home's in heaven and that can come at any time. So here, have mine. I mean, they were giving so freely. That's another way to identify an idol. Yeah. Imagine oh, your life without yeah. it. Can right? you freely give it up? Right. Well, you know, there's that verse um, in the Bible where it says basically a question where if a person sees somebody in need and has, I think it focuses on the monetary ability, but you have the ability to help that person and you do not, then it's stated, how could God be in that person? Mm -hmm. So, like, that's a... <laughs> yeah, that hurts. Yeah. You feel that one. Yeah. Sometimes I think that we think of idolatry as a Old Testament thing, like a historic like you know oh there's nobody clearly running around here right now worshiping statues and and carved images and one of the things that occurred to me pete when you were like would you want someone to see your bank account That's something i've been wrestling with at home with my wife is and maybe you've heard this analogy before like i think the analogy is if today life forms came from outside of the u.s and came down and walked into your house what would they conclude is important in your life Usually the analogy says, well, there's this one whole room with all the furniture facing this big square thing, <laughs> right? Like, you know, this must have been an important room, and this yeah. was like an altar to something they uh, worshipped, right? Because uh, yeah. everything faces this thing, right? That's the easiest example, but I also think about that in my own home. Like, when I look around, what would people conclude is important in our life? Some reason I put on here, read Second Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 17. 1 through 17. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, 1 through 17. 
So all of chapter three. <laughs> yeah, I just realized that. That's really long. Why did I say that? I think I was enjoying it so much. Oh, yeah. Right along what we're talking about. You, you see it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What part in particular? Just the whole thing is everything we're talking about. That's why you said 1 through 17, because it's this I whole topic. I just kept going, yeah. I mean, he's being more concise than we are, to be fair. You know, in the Old Testament, right, there's a lot of prophecies that foretells who Jesus will be. So many. I read this one book, and it said the amount of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled was mathematically improbable than filling the state of Texas up two feet with quarters, flying a man upside down blind and expecting him to pick the right one. Anyway, that's just a little side visual. But the Old Testament prophesied about Jesus coming. And there's also now prophecies that talk about the end days. And it talks about our behavior and what what we're serving. And so it really kind of lines up in my mind with what we serve is can become an idol or is an idol. So I got Second Timothy chapter three. My Bible headlines it as godlessness in the last days. But understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Yeah, if you skip down to 10 then, it talks about what we do. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, suffering. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you know the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I think that really sums it up, doesn't it? Keeping focus on God and keeping him elevated so that there's not this void, and then we end up filling it with other things and elevating other things above God so that we keep things in priority and don't fall away from him. Realizing that when we do and we inevitably will, we'll inevitably put something above God. That's their time for self-reflection and coming back to God and asking for forgiveness and repenting with the goal of growing closer to God so that we can be equipped for every good work. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's important too. Um, and maybe I just think it's important because I've been meditating on this fact this week. I've been digging into Romans more. But it's talking about the law in Romans a lot, and it's also talking about you know, no longer needing the law because we're in Christ. And I've been really trying to understand what that means because it also talks about you're in Christ. Does it abolish the law? Absolutely not. Now we uphold it. And and so there has to be a clear understanding what that means. But I was realizing that before Jesus, you're living under the law. No one can fulfill it. All fall short. And so the law is really used as a tool to expose your wrong, that you're condemned because you, you're wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And you're trying not to do more wrong. And then now when the Holy Spirit comes, he, the Holy Spirit, his purpose is to come and convict us. Well, that's what the law did too. Before the Holy Spirit, the law came and convicted us, but it condemned us. Now that the Holy Spirit does the same thing as the law, which convicts us of right and wrong, he has come now to shine the light on it, to free us from it. Going in with this conversation on idols. The Holy Spirit shows me or you or whoever that this thing has become an idol in your life. That is for the purpose not of condemning you, as the law does, but as the Holy Spirit's purpose is to convict you of it, to set you free of it. Because now that you see it for what it is, you can walk away from it. Mm. Because you have the power in Jesus to say to that sin, that idol, you have no power over me anymore. I have a choice because Jesus is in me. And I live for him. He paid the price. 
and I'm set free to live in the way that the Holy Spirit has led me to live. So it's always grace to know when the Holy Spirit's in your life that him convicting us of sin is not for the purpose of condemnation. It's actually to set us free so that we see it, acknowledge it, ask him for the help, and flee. <laughs> so yeah, Peter, would you like to close us in prayer? Sure. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ, who has made us whole. He has given us the power to get rid of idols and to place you above them all. Help us to stay close to you and to uphold your word and to study on it and meditate on it and talk about it so that we don't leave this void and space for these other things to elevate themselves above you, to focus on you and your will and to grow closer to you and then everything else falls into the proper place. Help us to encourage each other in this, and then also remind us that you're there with open arms to forgive us, to set us free from sin, so that we can have this relationship with you. Help us to do that in every day and in all of our choices. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Adam. Look forward to the next time. God bless you guys. It is our prayer for you that God will continually provide the same fellowship in your life as he has ours. A fellowship that sharpens, strengthens, and encourages. Because how you spend your time is how you spend your life. I'm Billy Heyer, encouraging you to abide and reflect the love of Christ, the love that endures all things. Have a blessed day.